Dating Ourselves, the podcast that talks everything 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Brian and Paul. Hello. Hey, guys. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling episode 22. (laughs) Really, Brian? Really? (laughs) Uh, And me, Paul, and you don't pity the foo. (laughs) Oh, boy. If you didn't read the show notes for the episode, we'll spell the joke out for you in a few moments. (laughs) If you missed last week's episode, you should really check it out when the gang and I talked about the elementary school lunchroom. You can find that and all our past episodes at datingourselvespodcast.com on iTunes, Google Music, and where you find your podcasts. Yeah, in the laundry basket. (laughs) (laughs) So we really appreciate our... Yeah, Whispercast coming to your coming to your ears soon. <laughs> God, so we really appreciate our listeners' support, and we would like to share some kind words left by one of those listeners on iTunes about our show. If you'd like to leave us your own five star written review on iTunes, we would love to read that on the air as a way to say thank you. So here's this week's five-star review. It's from Sainted Rouge. Wait, Sainted Rogue. It says, Great show that brings up a lot of great memories from my childhood. Enjoy the various topics in every show. Well, thank you very much, Sainted Rogue. Uh, As always, five-star reviews are encouraged. And be sure to tell your friends about Dating Ourselves podcast. All right, so let's get started. This week, I am going to be leading a discussion on the Foo Fighters. Not to be confused yeah. with food fighters. <laughs> no, no. That was last Which was <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. I was a food fighter when I was a kid. <laughs> Only eat the macaroni, did we? Yep. Yep. <laughs> the cheesiest. Oh yeah. Gotta get the the uh, one of the blue box, right? Craft. Yes. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Didn't they have like an I got the blues? Like ad campaign back in the late nineties. Yeah, they did. I got the blues, craft macaroni and cheese. <laughs> nope, never heard it. <laughs> yeah, that's completely foreign to me. <laughs> yeah, never, never heard of this ad. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The colors, yeah. Duke. The colors. I'm a colorblind kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. So, uh, real quick announcement. Uh, this is going to be my last episode from Texas. I will be uh, moving back to the good old mitten here in the next couple weeks. So, there there may be a little delay on uh, us recording or, or getting some new material out. We got a few things backed up. But uh, next time we record, I will be coming to you from the land of the mitten. So, all your exes will be living in Texas. Yeah, yeah. Ex coworkers, ex bartenders, ex people that bag your groceries. There you go. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I'm not touching any of this with a ten foot pole. I'm just gonna hold back the laughter. Well, you know, in Texas they use an eleven foot pole. You know that, right? Everything's a little bigger because everything's gotta be bigger. Yep. Well, remember, are folks, the stars at night truly big and bright? Uh, not in. Houston, that's for sure. <laughs> a little bit of light pollution? <laughs> Just a little bit. I don't know if you know this. There's a lot of people that live in Houston. I've heard that. I've heard that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's only the third largest city in the... Or, going to be the third largest city in the country soon. Jeez. Yep. Crazy britches, man. Well, yeah, no kidding. Remember, folks, at the end of uh, this episode, we're going to pick next week's topic, and it's going to be Nostalgia Combat. Nostalgia Combat! That's right. It's going to be me with Bill Nye the Science Guy and Paul with Netscape Navigator. So 2.0. Yeah. We're also going to visit our old friend, the Hopper of Imagination, um, to get another topic for Adam. But first, let's hear some stuff about the Foo Fighters. I supposed to know something about them? Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> Isn't that the band with the guy that looks like Dave Grohl? Yeah, he yeah, looks, looks just like, like that drummer yeah. from Nirvana. It's really yeah. Weird. yeah, exactly. And he looks just like that extra from that one episode of The X-Files, too. <laughs> you mean the one with the uh, show with the guy in the woods? No, a different episode, but uh, oh. yeah. Okay. Uh, he also kind of <laughs> looks like a less red version of Beelze Boss. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so anyway, moving on to the topic of discussion, we are talking about the Foo Fighters. Woo! Uh, yeah, one of the last real like rock uh, arena rock bands of uh, the generation, which is awesome that they're carrying on that torch because they are a great band. But let's go into a little bit about the Fighters of Foo themselves. So the band was actually founded in 1995 after the death of Kurt Cobain, which obviously ended Nirvana. And (laughs) Courtney did it. Oh, God. (laughs) So uh, Kurt Cobain dies. Dave Grohl is kind of a man without a band now, and he is kind of in limbo and decides to record some songs on his own, and so the result of that was the 1995 self-titled Foo Fighters album, uh, which had basically Dave Grohl playing all parts. He played the drums, he played the bass, he played the guitar, he sang all of that on it. He did have a couple of musicians help him on various parts, but you right. know it's just like minor little parts throughout the the you know they'd help out with like the drums for one particular track or something along those lines. Right, right. So I'm really, during the... him like walking the earth like Kane and Kung Fu, trying to find his place. <laughs> yes, exactly. So. Uh, Actually, that brings up a good point, because obviously he did not keep this a solo project, and very shortly before the uh, before the album was released, he did actually put together a band in which he could tour and play his songs. So he added Nate Mendel, who would become a standing member of the band. William Goldsmith played drums, and then Pat Smear, who was an, uh, originally... Uh, introduced to uh, Dave through Nirvana. Pat was actually the touring guitarist with Nirvana during their concert, so he'd be the one that was like playing the additional guitar parts with Kurt Cobain. And so that made up the original lineup of the Foo Fighters, which is kind of interesting because a, a couple of those guys are still in the band, Nate Mendel. Pat Smear, William Goldsmith is no longer with the band, and his uh, right a- after that first album, his 
role really got kind of reduced. But since then, you know, really taking it from a band that originally just started out as a single guy to now it's a six-piece band uh, that features Dave Grohl, Nate Mandel, Pat Smear, Taylor Hawkins is the drummer, uh, Chris Shiflett, and then the most recent addition or permanent addition to the band is a guy by the name of uh, Rami Jaffe, who is the keyboardist for the Foo Fighters mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So the self-titled album is kind of a masterpiece for being done by just a single guy. And it was a guy who really wasn't a guitarist, you know, like normally a guitarist. And so the, the parts, if you listen to it, the parts are very different from something you'd hear from a normal trained guitarist. It's not like he's doing things like somebody who, you know, has been playing a long time would play guitar, which actually kind of adds to the, for me at least, kind of adds to the interest of that particular album is there's a lot of interesting stuff on there just because he was kind of playing around with what he thought sounded good rather than playing, you know, parts that would a traditional guitarist would play. Yeah, there's definitely some weird chord choices uh, on some of those songs, but I think it makes it kind of uh, kind of unique that way. Uh, I'm trying to th- absolutely like this is a call, for example, like that that guitar riff by itself. Like when you don't have a melody with it, there's a lot of chords that are in different keys that kind of clash with one another. But his vocal line kind of kind of puts a needle and thread. Th- through it all and kind of binds it together right yeah he he uh uses a lot of dissonance on in the chords like it's not a lot of you know quote unquote good sounding chords it's a lot of chords that you can tell have like kind of this sonic strain in them uh which is really interesting because that's not something most trained guitarists would do you know you're trained to kind of play major and minor chords and uh, you, you know things like that. I mean, you don't really get a lot of guitarists who play a lot of dissonant tones or dissonant uh, chords like that. That's something that's usually, you know, as part of a cadence or something. You're trying to to get the tone to a certain spot, and so you might use that cadence or that particular dissonance to then resolve the chord into something that sounds good but he didn't really do that he just kind of used it to further the song itself and it really Mm -hmm. to me was amazing because it worked perfectly even though it's not something that you normally hear right and i i thought you know a lot of the album was kind of you know it was distorted and it was kind of a grunge sound you know you have songs like alone and easy target and um ecstatic but then there was two songs on there in particular that i thought really stood out with like more clean tones and kind of really interesting chord choices again um which was for all the cows I thought was a yeah. very interesting kind of almost a bluesy jazz sort of number, like kind of almost kind of loungy in a way. Yeah. And then there was Big Me, which was kind of like a Beatles, Monkeys type, almost like a flower power type 60s pop song. Um, yeah. Very yep. bright and very, uh, 
very sing-alongy. And that music video is one of my favorite music videos of any band ever. Um, <laughs> where it's, it was making fun of all the old Mentos commercials where everyone's smiling and everything, yep. but they're the Futos. I love that music video. <laughs> I forgot all about that. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, I have a question. Yeah. Um, so you guys are a lot more musically inclined than I am, but one of the things that I've always struggled with with the Foo Fighters, if you had to put a genre on them, what would you say? Um, I guess it really kind of depends on the era of them. That's fair. I would most likely, like, if you were to take their entire career and put them into a single category, I'd probably say they would fit most comfortably in, like, alternative rock. Yeah, that, but, that's my feeling too. If you look at it as a whole, because I mean, I depending on which era, you could say it's grunge or it's hard rock. But yeah, then you know, for every time you say, "Oh, this is a hard rock," then you have you know, like um, trying to come up with a good example. But they can go left and then right in a hurry. Oh yeah, like um, one of the songs on their like really like probably their biggest album which we'll talk about in a little bit there's a song called enough space where like it's a lot of screaming in that one like the chorus is basically just him going enough space and he's just like screaming it (laughs) which yeah it's it's nuts yeah which wouldn't which wouldn't be normal on a you know alternative record so yeah they do fit kind of in uh, like especially earlier on in their career I would definitely say they kind of jump a lot between like alternative and probably like grunge or maybe like punk influenced music. And that makes yeah, sense. Punk as opposed to ska, though. It's definitely its own unique. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, Dave Grohl, I mean, the his start in his career is in punk rock. I mean, he was on the DC punk scene uh, mm-hmm. way before he ever joined Nirvana. Right. So. Yeah, because he was in the band Scream, and he, you know, had toured with bands like, you know, Bad Brains and the Melvins and stuff like this. I mean, I think he was like 17 or 18, and he, like, tried out, like, went all the way to Seattle from Washington, D.C. to try out for Nirvana. Um, wow. Yeah, what a what a crazy... And the only reason he even, like, got put in touch with them is because of his friendship with uh, Josh from Queens of the Stone Age, uh, who at the time was playing for uh, California, like... A desert rock band called Caius. Oh I yeah, think is yeah. And so they those two became friends. And Josh knew, I believe Kurt, and uh, he put him in touch with Kurt and said, "Hey, you know, I know this really good drummer. I think you should have him try out for the band." And you know, as they say, the rest is history. There. Yep. Yep. Well, and then like you have albums like uh, "There's Nothing Left to Lose," where you have like the main hits off that album you have learn to fly which is a very like almost like a pop rock type song very melody driven very predictable Mm -hmm. four four um you have song like breakout which is a little bit heavier than that you have a song called next year which i always loved that music video as well because it's kind of about like astronauts and stuff interesting take Mm -hmm. um almost like a rocket man type song and then you have stacked actors which was also a hit off of that for those people who've played guitar the standard tuning for your guitar from low to high is e a d g b e well they tuned that low 
E string all the way down to the next A. So it's an octave lower than his A string. So you get wow. some really, really heavy sounding stuff in that song. Mm-hmm. And lots of screaming, lots of interesting timing. Um, we'll get into my kind of obsession with seeing the Foo Fighters many, many times live. Uh, but they almost <laughs> always do a jam session in that song because it, it fits so well to have some really unique um, guitar solos and stuff like that. And it, yeah, it works well for yep. like build ups and fade outs and things like that. Get some audience participation and stuff. It's very mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Well, especially that, uh, yeah, it, that it's just got that good driving beat to it with, because of that low string. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But off of the self-titled, are there any particular songs that you guys really like or were kind of your favorites off that album? To be honest, I did not get into the Foo Fighters until later. So if you could give me some tracks, that might jog my memory. But I don't remember specifically what was on the self-titled album. Well, here's the the track list for the self-titled. You have This Is A Call, I'll Stick Around... Big Me, Alone and Easy Target, Good Grief, uh, Floaty, Beanie Weenie, Oh George, For All the Cows, Ecstatic, Watershed, and Exhausted. I gotta go with I'll Stick Around for me, although Watershed would be a close second. Yeah, I'll Stick Around I think was one of their first hits, to be honest. Yeah, I think that was uh, the original single off the album, was I'll Stick Around. I know most people... Like when they think of that album, usually think of this is a call. But I think I'll stick around was their first big hit. I would even venture to say I think that's one of the first songs I ever heard by them. But I didn't hear their version of it. I was just I gonna heard say, it, yep, yep. I know exactly what you're gonna say. <laughs> yep, I heard it from Weird Al. Uh, ang- I, was that an Angry White Boy Polka or no Alternative Polka? Alternative Polka. Yeah, alternative so the, polka. Alternative polka. I don't owe you here. anything. I don't yep. owe you anything. Yep. Black hole so. sun, won't you come wash away <laughs> the rain? Yeah, we jump right into Black Hole Sun right after that. Um, yep, yep. Good stuff. So uh, yeah, that's a good one. I'd say my particular favorite off of this album is probably the song Exhausted. Because it's the song that closes out the album. And even though this one is not um, like necessarily supposed to be dissonant, I don't think. Like as far as like the notes themselves aren't dissonant. But the way that he has the guitar like boosted and the distortion he has on it. It makes this like amazingly dissonant sound to it, and it's just this great little riff to start it off. Kind of almost like an arpeggiated chord riff. He's just basically playing like the individual notes of a chord, uh, but it creates just this great sound that's super distorted. And then his voice is real clean on most of that song, and it just has this great buildup throughout the song and then just kind of gradually fades out and that's how the album ends is with just this great distorted arpeggiated chord going out and it's right. just beautiful it's a great way to end out that album definitely, definitely. yeah i think my favorite was still probably big me just because um i liked how very different it was from the rest of the album um i kind of liked that um it was almost kind of an homage to 
um, what's that song called off of Nirvana's Bleach album? I think it's uh, about a girl. Um, oh yeah, but a very like it feels very much like a song from like the Beatles or something like that, mm-hmm. um, which I know oh, yeah, was one definitely. of Kurt Cobain's really big influences was the Beatles. So it was kind mm-hmm. of an interesting direction for him to kind of take take a song, uh, considering everything else was pretty heavy, pretty dissonant, and then you had that mm-hmm. song that was you know little ride symbol and you could tell the drummer smiling the whole time you know yeah and yeah considering exactly. that drummer's dave Grohl, you know he's got a huge smile going on hey <laughs> well cool all right so that was the self-titled released in 1995 next we're going to jump to probably the album that launched them into stardom and that is the color and the shape which was released two years later in 1997 uh this time you had the same lineup as the live touring act however dave grohl basically pulled the main drum duties on the record again uh as william goldsmith just basically played a few parts here and there like filled in on a few songs and stuff like that um so it was really the same lineup of mendel smear and grohl and then a little bit of uh of uh, william goldsmith in there uh, this one is really the song that launched them into the rock stratosphere. Uh, like the the previous album definitely had some good hits and stuff, but this is really when they hit their stride with you know hits such as Monkey Wrench, My Hero, My Hero, My Hero yep, yeah. yep, and then Everlong, which is arguably one of their most you know famous songs ever. Did that have uh, "Walking After You" on it? It did. Yes, yes it did. Yep. Okay, that's a fantastic song too. Oh, yes, absolutely, it is. absolutely. What and what's interesting about that? So the the album version is really good. Uh, I love the album version, but if you listen to the if, if you watch the music video, there's actually a different drum line in or, or drum part in the music video. So the the album version is just a pretty typical beat that follows behind it, but the music video almost kind of has like a march feel to it or hmm. like a, a, a dance uh, beat to it. It's kind of interesting. It, it I, I can't really explain it because I don't under you know I, I'm not a drummer, but just the the part that he plays feels much different in the music video version rather than the actual album version which i thought was interesting because you don't usually hear big differences like that in you know between a music video and a uh, album version of a song wasn't there an unplugged version of it that got some traction too i think so yeah yeah that sounds familiar because i know i've heard many covers and alternate versions of it mm mm-hmm Oh yeah, yeah. That definitely one of, one of their more popular songs off of that. Behind you know the 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 really big hits for sure. But uh, this one was really interesting because you had some songs that like we talked about in the last one. You know you had a handful of songs that were very like seemed very poppy influence, even if they were still rock songs. But songs like Monkey Wrench and uh, My Hero and stuff were definitely more like a traditional, you know, popular rock song at the time. Whereas then you still had a lot of that influence of the hard rock, punk, you know, sound like that. Like you again, like we talked about earlier, you had 
uh, songs like Enough Space where he's, you know, screaming, uh, really, you know, really heavily. There's another song off of that album, uh, My Poor, I think it's My Poor Brain. Yeah, there's a lot of screaming in that, too. Oh, yeah. Well, and it, uh, I, I think that's the song I'm thinking of, where it starts off with this really crazy part where it's basically this just jumble of, like, shrieking guitars yeah. And it's just these like awful notes, and it's just this horrible sound. And then all of a sudden, it just resolves into yep. this great. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But before that, before that, you have like a normal guitar part. It's like the you know a chord strikes, and then it's like somebody is basically just like messing with a whammy bar and probably a guitar slide, and it's just the shrieking horrible sound but it resolves so perfectly into the beginning of that song yep yep yeah uh, and then you know of course monkey wrench is a great song one of their most popular songs uh still to this day and just a great rock uh song uh you have wind up which is another good one up in arms my hero which is amazing uh you know still what again one of their most popular songs it's actually kind of funny, you know, I hadn't heard that song in years uh, before I started really getting into the Foo Fighters again a few years back, and the the first time I heard this song again after, you know, probably 10, 10 years or whatever it had been, was watching the movie, uh, oh gosh, uh, the, the Other Guys with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. Oh, There's yep. that scene where <laughs> Sam Jackson and Dwayne uh, Johnson are up on the top of the building, and this song starts playing as they uh, are starting, you know, standing on top of this roof, chasing after the bad guys. And the bad guys cut the the like little zip line that they had used to get to a different building, and they look at each other, the big old grins on their faces, and they're like, "What do you say, partner? Aim for the bushes." And then they run off and jump off the side of this building. And you're like, how are they going to land this and like not die? And then <laughs> they hit the ground and die pretty horrible deaths. But meanwhile, this whole part is going in slow motion to the sound of My Hero by the Foo Fighters. <laughs> yeah. Just a very funny scene with that dichotomy of like My Hero. And then these guys are like basically jumping to their deaths. <laughs> Well, it's always interesting, too, from a super nerdy music theory perspective, like My Hero, for example, um, it's written in four, but the way the guitar part is like constructed, it's like three, four followed by five, four, because it's like a like it's it switches on the like that chord switches on the four of the first and then goes into a full measure of four after that. So it's it's kind of interesting. And same thing with like with Monkey Wrench. Um, you know, it's in the key yeah. of B major, but he has a lot of C chords and D chords in there that otherwise would be accidentals. And yet, for some reason, the song still sounds completely melodic and not mm-hmm. at all like jarring in any way, not at all dissonant in any way. Just I don't know. He's got a really unique way of of utilizing unexpected chords and making them sound like they fit. Um, mm-hmm. Which probably again goes along with the fact, you know, just the fact that he's not a, or wasn't at that time a guitarist by nature. You know, he had been a drummer, and so I'm sure, you know, it was just kind of him playing around with what sounded good to him, and it works even though it theoretically shouldn't. Right, right. 
Yeah, I think my favorite song off of that album was probably February Stars. Yes. Um, I was yes. hoping someone was going to bring that up. I yeah. think you didn't. I was going to say shame and mention yeah. it before we it's, moved it's on to such the next a, one. It's just such a great song. It starts off so mellow and quiet, and then it turns into kind of like a soft rock ballad, and then all of a sudden there's this, this giant wall of distortion, and I don't know. It's like crazy intense and beautiful at the same time one of one of my absolute favorite songs for sure Um, but there's there's Mm -hmm. so many great ones on there that's definitely the album that really got me into the foo fighters the first time that i had seen the foo fighters i'm trying to remember if it was them supporting there's nothing left to lose or if it was them supporting um the one by one album i can't remember but oh okay but i've seen them four or five times now and we'll talk about one of those times in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that is definitely a great song. The other one I really like off of that is the uh, song No Way, uh, or New Way Home, sorry. Uh, it's, again, the one that uh, ends out the album. It's just a great rock song. Just mm-hmm. a blistering song. It's really good. And especially coming off of, you, you know, um, Everlong, which is... A, definitely a more rock song than you know walking after you but still a pretty mellow song overall and then you have walking after you so you're kind of closing or it seems like you're closing on this very like mellow sound and then all of a sudden you come in with new way home again which is a, a great sound to it so was there any uh, other songs uh, paul that you, I, I know brian and me already mentioned kind of our favorite songs was there anyone that i think you, you covered every song from the, that album that i remember we didn't cover doll yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh actually, yeah actually i really do like that song just because it's it perfectly like sets up monkey wrench even though they're two very different sonically different songs yeah it perfectly sets up monkey wrench i always took it as like the intro track to the album like that was a popular thing to do so i i kind of you're right i always forget it because i feel like isn't it only like a minute long it's not very long at all yeah it's yeah yeah Mm -hmm. well and before we keep moving on the song Up in Arms is another one of my favorites because it does kind of have that Beatles quality, especially in the beginning. It kind of has almost like a doo-wop sort of um, like slow dance type thing. And then they just like count off like a one, two, three, four. Like they start going mm-hmm. crazy. I love that song a lot. And uh, the guitar solo, one of my favorite things from when I was learning to play the guitar, which is so easy to do, um, but I always thought it was really cool is when your guitar solo would be the vocal line, you know? Um, like when you just like mimic what the singer did, like in Smells Like Teen Spirit, for example, uh, you know, the guitar solo is literally just the verse line uh, playing yeah. on guitar. Um, I always thought that was super cool and they do a really great job of that in that song and they add a little bit of flair to it too with some kind of cool like blues bends and stuff. Yeah, so it doesn't feel like he's just playing the the melody line. I also I also love how you, you know you mentioned that it starts off real mellow. I love just that awesome drum fill that he has to to move it into the rock portion of the song. It it just perfectly like it's just like a perfect explosion 
oh, for yeah. setting up the next part of it. It's really cool. So, um, moving on to the next album, then, uh, you had There's Nothing Left to Lose, which I, I love the Foo Fighters and I love every one of their albums. This one, to me, is probably one of my personal favorite albums by the, them, and I'll kind of talk about why here in a second. Uh, this album was released in 2000, and uh, this one featured Dave Grohl, Nate Mandel, and then new to the drums during this particular album and became the new permanent drummer of the Foo Fighters was Taylor Hawkins, yep. uh, who, is, who has since taken on full-time duties as drummer for the band and is probably the second most important member to this band now uh like just his long longevity in the band as well as his uh like the the things he contributes to the band have made him a really important member and it all started back here with nothing left to lose but um, this one you know wasn't nearly as popular as their other albums at that point but this one, he really kind of found how to take, or, or how to how to really focus on melodies in a song, which you know he he didn't really do as much screaming on this album, yeah, or uh, things like that, which I'm not opposed to by any means. I really like it, but I love the stuff that he did on this album. It's just so like so like really from about aurora through the end of that i don't think you can like i don't think i've ever found an album where there's just so many good songs in a row where like every time i listen to this album as soon as it gets to aurora i like stop paying attention to anything else and i just focus on the last you know five six seven songs or whatever it is that they have that close out that album yeah because i think my favorite song on the album is next year uh it's one of my mm-hmm. f- favorites just very kind of a simple part simple songwriting structure you know verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus one of my favorite things about the song though other than it's like really catchy melody and kind of it's clean guitar tones is you think the song ends and it probably goes for like maybe two or three seconds mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden this big drum fill comes in and then it goes back into like like a one more time around uh chorus you know Mm. Um, yep and what what's really cool i don't know if he still does this i I i'm not even sure if they still play this song live or not i haven't seen it in a set list in a while but one of the things he used to do when he was playing this song is he would start out because the first part of the song is basically just uh him and a clean electric guitar playing and then a little bit of drums or whatever so when he was playing this live he would sit on a stool and he'd play the guitar and then in the middle of the song he would get up and walk back to the drum set and start playing the drums and singing while someone else took over the guitar duties i think nate mendel at that point would take over the guitar duties which i just thought was really cool I mean, it's not, like, the most technical song in the world or anything, but just that, like, little, I guess, caveat of him getting up and moving during the middle of the song and just, you know, singing as perfectly as he did before and playing the drums. It's pretty amazing. Definitely. I never realized that song was on that album. For some reason Mm -hmm. in my head, I thought it was later than that. Uh, It does sound like one of their later songs, to be honest. I guess it was kind of his first... 
was it popular when the album came out, or did it get popularity later on? Um, I think it was one of the the uh, the singles, but I don't know if it was that popular at first. Yeah, I don't think it really took off. Like, I don't think that there was. Uh, it definitely wasn't uh, "Learn to Fly," which we can certainly talk about that in a moment as well as to mm-hmm. the recent. Um, I, I guess it's been a couple of years now, but kind of the recent resurgence of that song. Um, but I think oh, yeah. what probably made it the most popular was that on skin and bones uh i'm pretty sure it is yeah um i'm looking it up yeah next year is on skin and bones i think that's kind of how it became popular again similar with Mm -hmm. walking after you i think both of those songs um were fairly popular when they came out but became way more popular when they did the live acoustic versions of them but right a couple years ago i don't know if this is in i think it was in italy they got mm-hmm. over a hundred musicians out in a field and everybody played learn to fly together yep and i thought that was so cool um they had a, like a you know probably 20 people drumming and a whole like i think it was like hundreds of guitarists and bassists and stuff like that it was a huge number of people that played yeah. it yeah, yeah the we're all along. looking angrily at the drummers. Is that how that works? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I mean, you know, uh, "Learn to Fly" definitely is the the most popular song off that album, and it's got an absolutely hysterical music video. You know, kind of in the same vein as some of the other ones, like the Mentos ones, where they tried to make the music video as funny as possible. This one features. A version of Dave Grohl, like the rock star, in which he's getting on a plane. And then there's different versions, or Dave Grohl is also playing different people on the the plane. Like, he plays, I believe yeah, I think, he plays... I one think everyone f- in the whole band is playing different people on there. Yeah, yep. So, like, I think he plays, I know for a fact he plays like a teenage girl that's, like, fangirling over seeing Dave Grohl on the plane. She, like, gets his autograph. I think he plays one of the captains as well. And or the then, stewardess or something. I don't remember. The flight attendant. Yeah, yeah something like that. Uh, and then like uh, Taylor Hawkins plays one of the guys of the band that's like annoyed by what's going on and stuff like that. Uh, but it also features an appearance from another group of musicians that Dave Grohl is really close with. Anybody remember who's in it? No. Tenacious D. Tenacious oh. D. Tenacious D. Uh, Jack Black and Kyle Gass play the uh, two of the uh, stewards on the plane. That like they're at the very beginning and the very end of the pl- uh, the music. Interesting. Video. I forgot all about that. I'm gonna have to go back and watch yeah, this. I, I, I yeah, I don't remember it. this at all. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was. I mean, it must have been before Tenacious D ever hit it big or anything, because I don't remember them being popular. They they must have got... Have they ever really hit it big? I mean, I know they're popular with us, but the only song I can ever think of seeing on MTV was Wonder Boy. Yeah, I think they became uh, famous like right around the time their movie came out. They had the HBO show. Yeah, yep. yep. And, well, yeah, their, their debut album came out in 2001, so I mean... They would have. Well, the HBO show was before the album, if I remember correctly. It, it might yeah. have been, yeah. I think that was probably late 90s. Mm-hmm. So, 
album, you know, has some great songs. Like uh, Brian mentioned earlier, Stacked Actors is a good one. Breakout is another one of those real high energy. Dave screaming a lot. Learn to Fly is the big single off of that. Uh, but really, the end of it, like I mentioned before, you have Aurora, Live in Skin, which is personally one of my favorite songs off of that album, and probably next year being the next one off of that. Uh, but Live in Skin just has a great sound to it, and it uh, just has this really cool part near the end uh, vocally where he's uh, doing this part saying... Um, you know, turn the inside out to the outside, turn the outside into the... And he just kind of keeps going on this theme. It's really cool. It's just an uh, awesome sound to it. And then uh, next year, there's a song called Headwires, another one called Ain't It the Life, which is a beautiful song. And then I really it thought you were going to say Anus the Life for a second. <laughs> anus the Life, yeah. <laughs> and then it closes out with another great song called MIA. Uh, that, that's that's that, a good one. Yeah. Now yeah. you won't find me. I'm going MIA. Like it's it's got a lot of energy. It's very Yeah. I love yeah. it. They I've I've just realized as we're talking about uh, about this, they really have some great songs to close out all their albums. I th- I mean that's almost as important as the singles is finding out like that that cliffhanger song, you know. Oh, absolutely. And not a lot of bands are great at that, but they really nail it on that. Yeah. So for these next uh, few albums, instead of going play by play, just because we are already running over the forty minute mark, um, yeah. we could probably go through some of like the best songs that we've liked off of those other albums. Well, uh, you know, our our time period goes through two thousand five. That's true. That's true. Uh, so so we we really only have two more albums to talk That's about, true. which is one by one and in your honor, which is the last album that fits under our particular era uh but yeah we we will kind of go through these uh quickly just so that uh we have a little bit of time to talk about a few other things after this uh but you have one by one which came out in 2002 uh which saw the band expanded by adding chris shiflett to it uh it was kind of interesting they actually had uh chris novoselic from nirvana uh as a guest on the album and brian may from queen was also an extra on the album played on a couple of songs uh but this one is interesting because this album almost broke up the foo fighters uh it did not go the early recordings did not go well they you know they they thought they were you know weren't inspired they thought that they were you know just being too focused on production and stuff like that and so the album ended up coming out and ended up being a great album, but they actually have alternate versions of quite a few of the songs that were just recently, like probably a year or two ago, finally released to the public called The Million Dollar Demos, which mm-hmm. has some really cool alternate versions of songs from this album. Oh, definitely. That, that didn't you know, make it to the public. Like uh, the, the one in particular that I love the alternate version on is the song Lonely Is You, which the original version is definitely uh, like more aimed towards rock, but it's just kind of like it starts off with this very quiet sound, and he's just kind of strumming every few beats, and then once it gets in, it's just kind of like the do-do-do-do-do-do-do like sound under it for the guitar. In the uh, Million Dollar Demos version, 
he is going crazy on vocals. It's unbelievable how good his vocals sound on that song. And the fact that they didn't put that in the actual version kind of makes me sad. But hey, yeah. at least we got the alternate version to listen to. That's definitely true. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, this was definitely the album that they were supporting when I saw them in concert the first time at the Delta Plex in Grand Rapids. Oh, um, nice. Yep, opening it's act, still there. It is, it is. <laughs> uh, the opening act was the Jealous Sound, but I, I very much remember watching him play All My Life in person. It's insane that mm-hmm. he plays that guitar part while singing at the same time because the <laughs> rhythms do not go together at all and yet he's able to like to keep it consistent like keep it keep it to a click like i, I don't know how you do it um mm-hmm. but my favorite song off that album was a song called tired of you and it's yeah. kind of like a minor almost like a house of the rising sun type feel it's it's really cool. I, I like it. Very uh, very different direction than what they normally go. And there's yeah, some there's yeah, some like sure. some of the choruses later in the song because the first time it's like he just like is singing the I won't go get tired of you with like the chords in the background. But then the is it the song keeps going. There's like these walls of like guitar harmonies and maybe that's the song that Brian May's on because it does have a very Queen like quality to it. I think you're right. I'm pretty. I didn't write it down, but I'm almost positive you're right on that. Yeah, uh, I'd have to look it up because that would be really interesting to see. Another good it is, one. It off is. Of yeah, Brian May guitar. I'm tired of you. So that that would explain <laughs> why, because it's it's very much sounds like a Queen sort of like mm-hmm. three or four guitar harmonies kind of blending into the vocal line. It's really mm-hmm. really intricate and and yet still really like melodic and catchy at the same time. Another good one off of that is uh, Disenchanted Lullaby. Oh which yeah, which is which uh, actually follows up the the outside of all my life i think it was the other single from it was times like these which is actually the song that got me into the foo fighters years ago it was on the american wedding soundtrack the third movie in the american (laughs) pie series (laughs) and uh i loved that soundtrack it had like you know good charlotte and uh gosh i can't remember a lot of the other band names on there uh, but I do remember that time, like times like these, uh, was on there. And at first, I I could not get into the song uh, because of that opening part, just that very like dissonant chord set that he plays. But oh, yeah. as I you know got to understand music and stuff more a little bit, I was like, man, that's actually really cool that he can start off a song like that and get it to work so well. He's really good at that. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if you guys oh, have definitely. ever noticed that before. Yeah, and then uh, uh, like. Come, uh, come back another great final track off the album just a great like deep sound of the guitars and it's it's awesome just another great song uh, so thankfully they did not break up after that album uh, and then that brings us to the last album of our era which is in your honor which was unique in that it was a double album and the first album was very much the you know rock songs that you're used to hearing by them included songs like in your honor no way back best of you which is probably the most famous song off of that album doa hell the last song just really great like rock driven songs 
But then the entire second half of the album was actually all acoustic music, which to that point they had never done something like that where they right. had like full acoustic songs. Um, which gives it, us Virginia Moon. Oh, yeah. Yep. Which features, do you guys remember who sings the vocals on that song? Nope. That's uh, Taylor Hawkins, right? Is on vocals on that song? No, that's a different one oh. you're thinking of. Now, Virginia Moon was actually Nora Jones. I think it's... I think it's oh, the I'm only song. Think of a different song, yeah. Yeah, I think it's the only song by uh, the Foo Fighters that doesn't feature either Dave Grohler or Hawkins on the vocals. Um, so, quick aside with that, there was a um, Kennedy Center honors for Paul McCartney, and this must have been right around the same time this album came out because Dave Grohl and Nora Jones did a, a duet of maybe i'm amazed by wings and Ooh. it's incredible um I bet it is. it's it's fantastic uh i would highly recommend it very nice i'll have to check that out that sounds really good actually i think i remember seeing it live i just don't or like watching it i just don't remember what you know the what it sounded like or whatever but um yeah so you know you have songs like that you have uh, Razor, which is an unbelievable song. It's just him and an acoustic guitar, and uh, it's just a great song. Actually, that's another one that I think became really popular as a result of Skin and Bones or whatever the yeah, I think so too. The acoustic uh, live acoustic version. Uh, but then there's one on there. Uh, maybe it is Virginia Moon, where it's kind of an interesting sound to it because it's not a typical like acoustic song. It very much seems like it's influenced by like i'm trying to think of what kind of music it would be but it's it's like a very like latin style song i guess right like or as far as the acoustics on it it's just really interesting so um but that album also features josh holm from queens of the stone age uh john paul jones who obviously is from zeppelin, uh, zeppelin. Yeah. yeah and then uh, actually, the first appearance of Rami Jaffe as a uh, Foo Fighter was on that, although he wouldn't become an official member, I think, until uh, Sonic Highways, maybe? I think really? this is the first time he was considered a, f- a full-fledged member of the band. Interesting. Yeah. I figured it yeah. would have been some Echoes, but... Oh, yeah, that could be. That could be. I would have to go back and look, but... Uh, checking it out right be. now. Um, yes. So, no, he's an additional musician on there. He's not an actual member of the band. So oh, okay. you may be right. Okay. It may be Sonic Highways. That's a fantastic album, too. Yeah, it really is. Uh, if you guys have never gotten a chance to listen to Sonic Highways, we won't go too much into it because it's a uh, you know outside of our timeline. But the album is actually kind of a ode to like the history of music in the United States. And so they recorded eight songs... Each of them was recorded in a different city, including places like Austin, Nashville, New York City, uh, Seattle, Washington, Washington, D.C., and each of them intentionally references and are inspired by the sound of the music scene from that, that became popular from that area. So, like, for instance, with... Uh, one of the songs out in uh, Chicago, the song in Chicago, it was very much influenced by the blues. 
And so they had references to, like, Buddy Guy and things like that in there. Uh, you have the song in Seattle has very much, like, you know, a grunge sound to it. New York has a very, like, kind of avant-garde sound to it. And I think um, some cool stuff about that album in particular is, so they took a lot of inspiration from those cities. They then recorded these sessions in some of the most famous recording studios in those cities. Yeah, um, yep. So they went to like some of the most famous in Washington, D.C., where a lot of punk bands played, and they went to this one in the desert outside of Los Angeles where a bunch of you know rock bands have recorded in the past. And then... Mm-hmm they'd bring in somebody from that scene as well as like a guest yeah. musician. So they had mm-hmm. Trombone Shorty on the New Orleans track, for example. Yep. They had Joe Walsh from the Eagles on the L.A. track. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting... Uh, Zach Brown. Oh, for Nashville, um, yep. Yep, Yep. Nashville. Uh, the Seattle is, I can't remember his name, but the guy from... Uh, Death Cab for Cutie, the singer from oh, Death yep. Cab for Cutie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so yeah, you're right. They they do bring in people that influence that air, you know, the sound of that area too. Um, and that actually brings me to kind of an interesting story. This is something we kind of teased on the last episode, saying that we had a interesting story about the Foo Fighters, and it happened because of the Sonic Highways album. So they, they were touring a few years ago for this, and there was their, that very famous incident where Dave Grohl was playing over in Europe and fell off the stage and broke his leg but continued to play the rest of the, the concert and then you know took a little bit of time off because he broke his leg. So right around the time that that happened, maybe even a little bit before, I remember seeing that there was going to be a 20th anniversary Foo Fighters concert in the Washington, D.C. area at RFK Stadium. And yep. Brian, living in that you know greater D.C. area, I was like, oh, man, we should go see him. At that point, I had never seen him in concert. Brian had seen him several times in concert by that point. Uh, so I was like, oh, man, like... Let's do it, man. I'll I'll get tickets. I'll you know fly out there or drive out there, and I'll yep. you know meet you guys, and we'll go to the concert. So we get I get out there a couple days beforehand. We just spend a couple days hanging out in the D.C. area, and then yep. it gets to be the day of the concert. And me and Brian are going around the city and stuff, and uh, we end up going to the stadium, and it is pouring rain out, and so. There, when we first get there, they're not even letting people out into the seats and stuff. But we get up to the ticket taker, and you know the show has already started like several hours before because it was this big festival that yeah. had I think like about ten to twelve different bands. Playing yeah, because we like missed that, like Joan Jett, and we missed uh, Trombone Shorty. Trombone Shorty, we missed. Yep. So we missed yeah. a few different acts. Um, yeah. But we got so, there, and it was. It was pouring rain, but it was just starting to light up a little bit. And RFK is where the Redskins used to play. It's still where DC United plays, although that's going to be changing pretty soon uh, as they're building a new stadium in DC. Um, But it's a big open-air stadium, and general admission is all on the field. It's all grass. Uh, So it's soaking wet and gross, and we're like, well, we want to try and get close, but we don't really want to stand in the mud so we walked up to the guardrail where nobody was standing, like right in the front, 
and stood on these like little plastic things that the guardrail was stuck into to make sure like it wouldn't tip over from the rain or mess up the turf or whatever. And we just sat there for a while. I don't know if you want to pick up the next. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> it's your story. You I'm just I'm just setting it up for you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So. Well, even going back a a few seconds, we didn't know when we went up to the ticket taker that we even had the ground level seats. Like we got, we got general admission and we get to the ticket taker and the guy's like, oh, you guys are at the wrong place. You need to go to the ground floor admission area. We kind of looked at each other like we got ground seats. Like we had no idea. And so we like, we're getting excited. Like, oh, cool. So we're thinking, you know, we're going to be way in the back. And so, you know, like like Brian said, we get out there and everyone is off of the field off the because pitch. of the weather. But as, <laughs> as they say, I said off the pitch, as they say across the pond. Yeah, <laughs> uh, off the pitch, yeah. And so we uh, we get down there and like Brian said, you know, we were, you know, it's wet on the field. It's gross. It's nasty. It's raining. So we are standing on this platform And we're like, oh, we'll just stand here. Because it was kind of off to the side of the stage or whatever. You know, we're like, oh, we'll stand off to the side uh, for now. And then we'll move to find a better spot later. And so, you know, as we said, there's all these different bands playing. And I think the first one that played once we got out there was Heart. And so we were like, okay, we'll just kind of... I can't remember who it was. If it was Heart, if it was Gary Clark Jr. I I don't remember. It might have been Gary Clark. It was one of those two for sure. But uh, it was funny because after, like, as we're sitting there and the first band comes out, uh, you know, I turn and look at Brian. It was like, dude, we actually got really good seats. Do you just want to stay here? So I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? So we ended up with front row seats to see the Foo Fighters. We were off, off, like, if you're on the stage, we would have been on the right side uh, a little bit over. But it wasn't a big deal. Like, we could see the stage perfectly from where we were. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. My first concert going to the Foo Fighters, and I got front row seats to it. <laughs> yeah. Not, not a bad way to start out. So Dave Grohl, he was born in Ohio, but he was raised in northern Virginia, uh, actually in the same town that my wife is from. Um, and so it's amazing. Are they besties? That, no, they're, they're a few years oh. apart. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But his mom was a public school teacher in Fairfax County, Virginia. She may still be, but I'm sure she's retired at this point. But um, it's amazing because Dave Grohl's worth several million dollars. You know, flies jets all around the world to play shows to thousands of people. And he still comes home and mows his mom's lawn. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. But uh, he, they did a show at the Black Cat which is a very small venue in Washington, D.C. It's on 14th and U, which you've probably heard referenced in uh, Feast and the Famine off of the Sonic mm-hmm. Highways album. I guess it's not quite to U Street. It's, it's on 14th, though. But, um, but it's, a, it's a venue that maybe holds four or 500 people max. Uh, and a buddy of mine waited out once again in the rain to get tickets to this. And they were like 20 or 30 bucks a piece. I mean, they were like what you would pay to go see the Foo Fighters at a 20,000 person arena, you know, and we we're getting to see them in a, you know, 450 person bar. It was, <laughs> it was sucks. amazing, amazing. And they got to like premiere a lot of the new Sonic Highways uh, episodes because these were still coming out 
uh, on HBO at the time, so they hadn't premiered the DC one yet. So they were showing us like a a trailer of that and some of the interviews with you know Henry Rollins and stuff like that. It was so cool. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So. Although one of my worst concert experiences was seeing the Foo Fighters in Detroit, um, <laughs> and that was uh, this concert was great. Uh, we were there, and uh, Serge uh, Tankian was doing his solo career uh, from System of a Down, so he was the opening act, and we were in the parking garage near the old Joe Louis Arena, and there's this guy that's like flying through all the empty spots. Um, like going down the ramp through empty spots. And then, of course, there's a big cement column that prevents him from going any further. So now he's trying to cut in front of us. And there's like 10 cars that don't let him in, but I'm the 11th car. And so that's that's it. That's way too many people not letting me in, even though I'm being an asshole. So he gets out of his car and starts like pulling on my door handle, which luckily was locked. But he's like, oh jeez, wanted to kick my ass for, and he had Canadian plates too, so I was really expecting him to say sorry. You know, he was not a, <laughs> he must not have been a true Canadian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen a lot of really great shows in Detroit, and I've never really gotten into trouble except for that one time where this guy wanted to beat my ass in the parking garage because the other ten people wouldn't let him in after cutting through half of the parking lot, so. <laughs> Well, I've never had a great. I, I shouldn't say that. Every show I've ever seen in Detroit has always been great, like you said. But I have never had a good parking experience anywhere near the Joe. <laughs> no, ever. No, it's pretty bad. I saw. Uh, I saw Heaven and Hell, which was Black Sabbath fronted by Dio uh, at Cobo oh, yeah. at Cobo Hall, and that was. It took us almost as long to get out of the parking garage as their entire set was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, sounds about right. There was no hostile acts, but that that was the same show that one of our mutual friends was driving us home uh, after, or driving us back after that show, and we hit some construction, and the construction workers told him to turn left, and we ended up in the wrong part of Detroit. There was not, (laughs) there was not a single light on in that area, not a single sign of life. It's like, uh. Can you hit the gas, please? We need to get out of here real quick. Yeah, it was way, way, way too quiet for a city of, you know, 700,000 <laughs> plus people. Um, it was yeah. pretty bizarre. So, uh, real real quick, the last thing I want to say before we wrap up the Foo Fighters is, you know, it, one of the amazing things about Dave Grohl is he is really kind of the last true like rock god and what i mean by that is he is one of the most well-respected musicians in rock and roll to uh, to this day to the point where he's had the privilege of being able to play with queen uh live in wembley stadium he's had the pleasure of playing with um Oh gosh! What, uh, well, he Paul played McCartney. With, he played with Zeppelin too. Uh, or he at played least with I Zeppelin. should say Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones. I don't think Robert Plant yeah. was there, but um, right. But they had Taylor Hawkins sing all the parts because he can, and that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's amazing because he is like, you know, he is that that big personality in rock and roll that you know was so common in the 70s 80s and stuff like that that just really you don't see all that much anymore and especially uh to be a musician as well 
respected by the rock legends as he is. And yeah. he's had the ability to play with all of them. He's played with Paul McCartney. He's played with uh, Led Zeppelin. He's played with Queen um, at Wembley Stadium, which you know is where Queen really became huge, was that Wembley uh, concert that they put on. So it's re- really neat to, that there is somebody that's kind of carrying that torch to this day. Definitely, definitely. So I guess that wraps up the discussion on the Foo Fighters. Now uh, it's time for Nostalgia Combat! Nostalgia Combat! Alright folks, are you ready? Alright. So I have devised a trivia question for my co-host to answer. Whoever is the closest will lead their chat next week. Paul has Netscape, and Brian has Bill Nye the Science Guy. Are you guys ready? Always. Oh, yeah. All right. So, like I mentioned before, me and Brian went to that concert in D.C., and even though it was supporting the Sonic Highways album, it actually was the 20th anniversary of their first album being released in 1995. What date was that album released on oh i know this uh <laughs> it's, it's july 4 okay paul i'm gonna say april 1st because i have no effing idea <laughs> <laughs> brian is correct he got it exactly on yep. the. I, I was i i was trying not to go to wikipedia to answer <laughs> the question because I, yeah, I and, no I, and I definitely remembered this because I remember us going to the museums, like the Smithsonian beforehand. We went to the mm-hmm. Air and Space Museum, and normally there's like a line a little bit, like at the because you have to take everything out of your pockets and go through the metal detectors and all that stuff. But this line was wrapping around the building, and it was like a hundred degrees with like a hundred and twelve percent humidity that day it because brutal. it was about to rain, you know. So <laughs> um, yeah, that was brutal. <laughs> So, yeah, it was very easy for me to remember it was the 4th of July. Um, well, awesome. That's exciting. Well, there you have it. Brian will be guiding us through the land of Bill Nye the Science Guy next Bill, week. Science I, rules! The loser still has Netscape. The loser in internet browsers. <laughs> <laughs> well, not for the time, but overall, they definitely lost the battle. <laughs> not what it used to be, that's for sure. Now we need to visit the Hopper of Imagination to get Adam a new topic. While Brian is dipping his hand into the Hopper of Imagination, we want to remind all of our listeners that if there is a topic you'd like us to discuss you can submit those at our website, www.datingourselvespodcast.com. Okay, great. So I got three different topics. They're all from different categories. I'm going to share each category. And then, uh, Adam, you can pick which one, and I'll tell you what the topic is. Sound good? Let's do it. All right, so you have toys, book series, or movie. I'm going to do book series. I don't think we've done a lot of books. No, we haven't. Uh, and the last time we did a book series, uh, you were not part of that episode. We'll have to go back and revisit that, Harry Potter true. one of these days. But uh, this book series will be Animorphs. Ooh, Ooh, nice. Yeah. 
Very popular choice in the 90s. <laughs> definitely, yeah, <that> <laughs> definitely. All right, well, there we have it. Adam has Animorphs, Paul has Netscape, and then join us next week when I lead a discussion, the long-awaited discussion, uh, on Bill Nye the Science Guy. Thanks for joining us, guys, on Dating Ourselves. If you like what you heard, there's more to come. You can check us out at www.datingourselvespodcast.com to learn more about us and the show, and you can check out our Contact Us tab if you'd like to submit your own nostalgic topics. You can also send us submissions at datingourselvespodcast at aol.com. We've got got mail. Yeah. In addition to iTunes, you can also find us on TuneIn Radio, Google Music, and wherever podcasts are downloaded. Also, we are now on Plex. Woo! By the time this airs. Very, very exciting stuff. So be sure to check us out there as well, guys. Um, we're also going to post, as always, additional content on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash dating ourselves podcast. You can find us on Instagram at dating ourselves podcast. And we do the Twitter thing too, although not as often as we probably should. Um, but <laughs> it's at dated podcast. And remember, if you're too old for Snapchat and too young for Life Alert, you've just been dated. Bye, guys. We'll be coming home next year.